Hi, welcome to NDE TV. I'm Peggy Robinson. Today's guest is Robert Kopecki, and he's going to tell us about his three near-death experiences. Right? That's right. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Hi, like, Peggy. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for having me on. It's a great pleasure to be here. Yeah. You're welcome. Uh, do you want me just to take off and tell sure. and start, start talking about it? All right. Yeah. Yeah. Many of you might be wondering, well, why does it take three near-death experiences? You know, don't you get enough out of one? What's <laughs> well, uh, you know, don't follow my example. That's all I have to, to say. Um, yeah, I had never really heard about it, uh, known anything about near-death experience. I think maybe I saw, um, what was that show that Leonard Nimoy, In Search Of, I think was the name of the show. It used to be on TV when I was a kid. And they had the... Uh, the tunnel with the light at the end. They had an episode about that. And so I might've heard something about that, but I didn't really, I never had one of those tunnel with the light at the end things. So okay. I didn't relate my experiences uh, so much to it. Um, the, the, uh, I had three near-death experiences and they were all about six or seven years apart over about a roughly a 20 year period or so, um, 15, 20 years, five years apart, something like that. Uh, the first one, was um well each of them were a kind of a classic motif right so an out-of-body experience a life review and a being forced back into life kind of thing so the first one the out-of-body experience uh, i was taking my wife at the time then to the airport and on my way back home i went through a uh, a part of los angeles we were living in los angeles i went through a part of la that i wasn't familiar with and um uh, all the streets that I knew were line, were in a row. They were all running parallel to each other. And I got on a street I'd never been on, and I expected it to work the same way. It was dusk. <clears throat> so I'm driving on this unfamiliar road. And then to tell you when it was, I had a malfunction of my cassette player. <laughs> was oh. like, this was back in the 80s is, is when the, the first one happened. And if you're... If you're too young to, most people are too young now to know what that sounded like, but it made this weird bloopy noise and the tape would get caught up in the mechanism uh -huh. and, and then you eject it and there would be a big string of tape yeah. coming out of there, you know, big mess. And that happened while I was driving. And so I sort of wasn't paying attention for a second. And this street actually had a little jog in it that I didn't know about. And there was a car kind of pulled out. They were washing their car or something. And I looked up and I glanced off of the tire of like a, a jeep or something and went straight into a telephone pole i was going about probably about 35 miles an hour or something like that and the very next instant i found myself at the top of the pole basically oh. i'm looking down i'm looking down and there is a car that i pretty immediately recognized as being our car smashed into the telephone pole with this kind of stuff running out on the ground and steam coming out of it. And the, it was dusk, so it was starting to get dark. The light right next to me, was the, the light on the pole, on the telephone pole, was flickering on. And there were some bugs flying around it. You know, I remember these kinds of details. I know, it. isn't it weird? And yeah, and I could, uh, I could look over hedges and stuff into people's yards and see lights going on on their side porch and people coming out, you know, people from the neighborhood started to come out when they heard the, the crash. 
And I recognized this, you know, this arm was kind of hanging out of the window of the driver's side of the car. And it occurred to me that that must be me. Oh, wow. So I, I had that awareness that I was up here and my body was down there. And Isn't I did strange not strange how calm we are. Oh, that's my body. <laughs> well, one, you know, one is immediately released from all of the sort of material yeah. impositions that we, you know, that you have to cope with as a person. It's that's instantly done. And so there is immediately there's this feeling of transcendent unity. And <clears throat> this is something that I'll return to because all three of my near-death experiences had these same uh, characteristics. And pretty much, regardless of how different one NDE is from another one, they all pretty much have these same things. So I felt like I was enfolded in love, right? I just felt like a big warm hug surrounded me. Um, I had this sense of transcendent unity of being part of a greater mind, kind of like my mind suddenly became sort of limitless. And uh, when I think back on it, maybe I didn't have as powerful a sense of me, you know, I was just more kind of out there. And I did not feel like I was alone. I felt like there was somebody right up here behind me, as I did in, in all of my experiences. Uh, but I didn't turn around and face them and like meet them or anything, you know, but it was like a voice in my ear. And as I watched the people come out to the, to the, uh, the car crash, I heard them hollering to get an ambulance. And um, I looked around, I could see all these things from this vantage point. I tried to go down and sort of engage with them, you know, and tell them that I was okay and tell them that I'm, here i'm still here and stuff but they couldn't hear me at all so i imagine i was an official ghost at that moment if yeah. anybody had seen me i would have been a, a, a disembodied spirit which i was isn't and, that a strange uh, feeling to say i was a ghost i mean because i've said that and people are like well you can't say that i can well yeah because what is it otherwise i mean there's pretty much right. the definition of a ghost is a disembodied spirit and and then, of course, you know, I, there's this realization that came to me to a greater degree after years of going back to it, of revisiting it and sitting in meditation, which I did. Before these things really soaked in on me, it was after a period of, of meditating a lot, having a practice. But I was, um, I was kind of shepherded at a certain point. It's like, no, it's time for you to go. Kind of thing. And the, right about then, they were loading my body into the ambulance and taking it away. And as I remember it, I was uh, sort of shepherded in the air like I was flying into kind of a cloud bank is what I remember. And then I don't remember the exact passage, but after that, I was in a beautiful sort of pastoral location, like a beautiful park, beautiful nature. And there were other spirits, kind of sort of like people around. And there was uh, somebody with me that was that I was talking with just like sitting across from almost like I was at a table or, you know, like being interviewed kind of, but in this beautiful place. Um, now you, you'll notice that when I describe my near death experiences, I don't elaborate a great deal on all the details of them. I'm telling you what it was to me the day after it happened, the way that I really remember it. I have had all kinds of things come in and fill it in all kinds of meaning and all kinds of details. 
but I don't know where they're coming from. And, you know, our right. memories are not all that reliable. In fact, they're proven not to be very reliable. And I try not to um, change my stories, but only to report on the miraculous nature of what I experience. So yeah. sitting here with this entity that I don't really remember their features or anything, um, just having this overwhelming sense of being loved and supported and unified with everything, you know, and all that, we talked about some pretty important things, I guess, and sort of worked stuff out was the impression that I have of it. And I came to, it was about 20 hours after the accident in a, a hospital room with a nurse kind of, you know, tucking my bed in and stuff and hooked up to things and like that. And so I had a classic out of body experience. Um, my wife had taken to the airport and when she came back uh, to town, she basically turned around and came back home when she heard. Um, I told her about it. Um, <clears throat> but even she sort of looked at me a little bit funny at the time. And as a result, I didn't really uh, embrace that experience. It was not a common thing. I hadn't heard very much about it. I didn't know of any kind of associations of like experiencing people. And um, I, I basically kind of dropped it. But I did go back to that neighborhood and look around on foot and see that the things that I had seen from the top of the telephone pole were as I had seen them behind the hedges and stuff. So I knew, I confirmed for myself that I had been up there and that I could see it, you know, actually into these yards and stuff from where I was. So I always knew that I needed to do that for myself, but um, I didn't really get much uh, uh, response uh, other than people just looking at me like I was a little bit crazy, which I <laughs> probably was anyway uh, at the time. So I, I, I basically dropped it. I, I dropped it. And that was my first experience. I like how you word it, shepherd, shepherded. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I haven't heard it explained that way. And I was wondering how you would uh, word that because I was understanding what you were meant for. You said that because there's this guidance. You There's... Right like people there, there's voices there, or there's someone there. You're not alone in this. It's kind of like a babysitter. I feel like, like we're going to watch and see what's going on for my drowning when I was five. That's the way it felt mm. like, like there was somebody mm -hmm. there just keeping an eye on things. I was doing what right. I wanted, but they were watching to make sure I stayed within certain boundaries, I think. Yeah. And I mean, I recognize that as being my guardian angel, you know, and, um, Years later, I had a, in my, my first experience receiving Reiki, I, I kind of like traveled astrally and I'm not this kind of guy normally, you know, I'm a pretty meat and potatoes kind of guy, except I'm a vegetarian now. Oh. Uh, so I'm a plant-based meat and potatoes guy, <laughs> but, um, I, I came to realize that there had been somebody with me during all of these experiences. And that it was the same entity. And in this kind of astral travel I had during a Reiki session, I, I basically, I met her and I have a relationship with her now myself. With your guardian angel that you had? Yeah. During your... Awesome. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And um, in that same session, I, I, I uh, met actually my aunt who had died, whose bedside I was at some years before that, um, introduced me to my 
guardian angel. So this is like the, the more uh, explicitly spiritual or paranormal aspect of my experiences. Lots of times I like to tell people um, really just exactly what happened so that the doubters can, uh, can find something to identify with, you know? Um, because one of the things that I get with three is, is like, um, well, I could never hope for that to happen. And I just can't see that I'll ever understand what, what you got from that and stuff. It's like, I didn't plan anything. You don't choose it. It chooses you. (laughs) Right. Um, so the first one was that classic out of body experience and, you know, years later, after I came to terms with everything and I developed this whole different kind of way approach to life um, that really happened for me after 9-11, some 20 odd years uh, um, later, almost 20 years after my first, my third near-death experience, um, you know, I developed a whole different um, a way of, of looking at it and living with it and understanding what each one of them meant. And that first one, that out-of-body experience, taught me that we really can uh, compassionately detach from the forms of being a human, you know, mm-hmm. this guy that I am and the circumstances of my life, my family, my work, all of that. These are things that come and go and that change and that I'm basically a visitor to in a way. And so I can, uh, it's hard to get the genie back in the bottle when you're, yeah. when you've been I out think, of your body. Yeah. I think creativity is the closest we come to that when we're in the body, we get in that zone or that creative zone. Right. It's like we lose sense of time and we're just involved in something. Everything else disappears. For me, that's just how yeah. I kind of look well, at it. I, I liken that to, I liken that to tuning in a radio, you know, where you can put it in, you can put it in the, uh, the windowsill and turn it a certain way and it comes in. I've worked in the creative arts professionally my whole life. And if I could do it every time I would, but there are sometimes it's just not happening. I'm not tuned yeah. in. And so I have to try to reproduce those circumstances, those conditions, and that kind of surrender into the potential that, go. that, that really uh, is what is common in every near-death experience. Because near-death experiences are custom-made. You've interviewed a lot of people. Yeah. You've heard a lot of different kinds of stories. Some people meet certain things. They end up in certain places it's almost never the same place from person to person i had two and they were very different we at first was out of body like you but then the second one was the tunnel and the white light and Mm. oh have an experience right yeah yeah but they but they yet they use the same kind of techniques like i would be shown a vision it opened up and like oh okay it would teach me something like a educational tool and then the yeah. telepathic communication, but then yet there would be just a knowing. I mean, they're, they're, they tr- they kept the same formula, but it's just different circumstances. Well, that, that's something that I talk about, like in my most recent IONS, International Association for Near-Death Studies, uh, my talks have been about what's in common, you know, what we're in common. And all of them, almost every person I've heard talks about the experience of pure love of being enfolded in pure love. I didn't have that. Um, this kind of trend. You didn't. I didn't get it. <laughs> you didn't have that? I didn't get it, no. Did you have a sense of transcendent unity? Did you have a sense yeah. of sort of being released from stuff? I mean, with, I mean, 
the first one was out of body. I was just suddenly out of body and I was this ghost kid running around, doing, I mean, flying around stuff, doing stuff. But then the second mm-hmm. one was 20 years later and it was, I was suddenly in the tunnel and then I was in the bright white light. And then this, I was wanting to come back and I was mad and angry because I had kids at home. And so right. there was no love. <laughs> it was, mm-hmm. you know, as a kid, me just doing what I wanted to do. And an angel had said, don't go yet. If they find you soon, you might go back. Well, I got thinking, I don't have to listen to anybody. I don't have to listen to adults anymore. I can do what I want. So I went exploring. And then, but the second one, it was just taken away from me. I mean, in the tunnel, you know, I'm trapped. I'm thinking, how can I get out of this? You know, I want to run away and get back to earth. And then I was up so far, I couldn't. And then the white light. And then I'm like, no, uh, you know, I can't stay here. I got kids to race. And so, but the love I felt was the moment I was back in the wheelchair in the emergency room when I was given my way, that's when I was like, wow, I just gave my life back. Yeah. Well, so you were hanging on to who you were in human form. You were like you, I think you were abused child growing up. Yeah. I had a difficult childhood. Yeah. And so I was scared to death of leaving my kids down here on this cruel earth without a mother's love protection. Mm Because that's what I grew up with. And I went about to leave my kids down there. Right. It's well, like leaving uh, in the wolves, you know, leaving in a, in a cave with wolves and just going off and having a good time. Ain't happening. <laughs> well, for most of them anyway that I've heard, there there is that aspect of this kind of pure love or of being enfolded in it. Yeah. And well, my third one, I didn't really experience that as much as the other, as the first two. Um, it was still there. I did still feel safe. I felt secure. I didn't feel like I was going to be in, hurt or anything, you know, um, there's always, almost always some form of radiant illumination. There's always some kind of bright light or some kind of being of light. That's another consistency yeah. along with pure love and transcendent unity. Unless you have out of body, then not really, always. No, but I was in this place that was like a beautiful sunny park with green trees and you know sunlight streaming through everything. It was, there was illumination. Uh, yeah, I didn't have it in my first one. Um, and then there's always, almost always karmic instruction. It's kind of based on what you have been or what you are bringing to the afterlife. There is uh, uh, some kind of impact on that, on reforming it, on recreating it, on going back and doing things a different way, that kind of stuff, or going back to finish something, you know? Um, so there's almost always some an instructive aspect of it you know where yeah you're gonna have to do this now you're you you know yeah i was telling god what i was gonna do (laughs) i was i was thinking i was the boss and i was told uh he was the boss not me basically so so you learned that lesson yeah how to calm down act right (laughs) and then there's a you know this renewal there's a renewal aspect uh too when you you come back from it and and yeah. those out el- those elements the uh, pure pure love and transcendent unity and, and radiant illumination and karmic instruction and renewal those are themes that you do hear a lot okay yeah. through all and oftentimes it's dressed in this very unique kind of trappings that have to do with who you are it's yeah our personality made. comes into play yeah and so and when we come back then we only have this language to talk about it yeah. Right. There are some things I can't describe. Right. They're indescribable as a human being. So, 
So my second one, um, so that I don't take up, you know, way too much time just You're talking okay. about one at a time. I'm no hurry. Uh, my second one, I had experienced the death of my aunt. Uh, my first wife and I had traveled around the world for about a year or so. And um, we weren't spiritual people, but almost everything we did, looking back at it, <clears throat> was pretty spiritual in nature. You know, we went to, to lots of... Uh, Lots of big cathedrals and temples and ruins and, you know, stuff like that <clears throat> all over the world. And when we got back to San Francisco, where we were living at the time, I got a phone call that my aunt was dying in a, in a hospital in Oakland and drove over there and sat with her for the next 15 or 20 hours or so as she died. And I had, I had this distinct sensation of her being present and that her body was not and i had had that experience myself of being out of my body i wasn't relating it so strongly because i had layers of this kind of material ego that had piled up over the years where i had sort of suppressed my first near-death experience but i knew that she was uh there uh, with me and Can we stop you for a second mm -hmm. that's something we don't talk about enough whether it's just as near-death experiencers or people's a little bit of psychic or I don't know, but because I've experienced that too, and I know what you're talking about, is this connectedness to someone that's passing or right after they passed. It's like we've kind of mm -hmm. got one foot over there with them. And I don't know yeah. what that's called. You know, it's not really a shared death. It's just a coming a along. Connect feeling. Connection. Yeah. yeah. Like a connection. Well, you know, we don't know what's going on here. That's the other thing is that the, this near-death experiences indicate this kind of elaborate spiritual technology is going on that we're part of. And so we're connected to all kinds of things in ways that we don't even know until we allow it, you know, until we discover it for ourselves. And this kind of extra dimensional attachment to my aunt who took care of me when I was a kid, she used to get me out of where I was experiencing bad things. And I would go travel with her and stuff. And so she was my pal. She was my saving grace. Um, and then when I was there, I just, it, there's no coincidence, right? It's yeah. synchronicitous that I'm there when she passes. And um, those kinds of connections then, you know, this is an extra dimensional existence that we're taking part in. There's no question about that. We're sixth sensory creatures. There's, there's a, definitive proof of espn you know or espn is the sports yeah network. i know what you meant <laughs> esp <laughs> there's definitive proof of espn too uh no but uh, but a lot of the stuff that's considered paranormal is uh has been proven over and over there's mountains of evidence for it you know extra dimensional transpersonal contact and spiritual contact and stuff like that it's just that um the world, the material world as we know it, can't really deal with that level of consciousness all the time. And so it has to be kind of suppressed or pushed aside. And we end up occupying, you know, the, the fringe podcasts and stuff like that. Still, we still do. When really most of the solutions that we need in the world are of a spiritual nature, you know, most of the problems are of a spiritual nature. And and most of our uh, near-death experiencers come back to with a kind of a mission to sort of try to 
work on that, you know, to bring things back around and connect things uh, that you may not even understand what they are until you get there, until it happens to you in life. I couldn't do that until I got older. Yeah, well, that's your life moves from ambition into meaning as you get older and you start to be able to you know, accumulate wisdom, you know, all of that stuff. Well, and my second one, I was not accumulating wisdom because the death of my aunt sent me off into a, a, a kind of a bad place. And I left my wife and I moved to New York City and I became a, 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 a denizen of the downtown nightlife, you know. And I, I lived a, a successful commercial uh, professional life, um, but I was mostly nocturnal and, and hanging out with other people like that and doing the kinds of things that happen in those kinds of places. And, and I ended up having was essentially kind of an overdose or an overload. And I, uh, I'd left a party one night and sort of barely made it home. I was just, I felt like I was about to faint the whole time. And I did just sort of pass out on my floor as soon as I got in the front door uh, with my girlfriend at the time. And as I laid there on the floor with my head propped up against the wall, I couldn't move from my neck down, just went away. And the room started to fill in with a brilliant white cloud, like a bright heavenly kind of cloud, right? <clears throat> that totally obscured everything else. And I was in this place. I was enveloped in this cloud. And once again, I had this companion, companion, you know, this guide, kind of, who was sort of talking to me in my left ear as it had the first time. And I was directed to look in a certain direction in this, there's nothing, but look, like look over here and a kind of a screen opened up or a space opened up <clears throat> because it wasn't a screen like a movie screen. I know what it you was mean. like, it was like a box of experience kind mm -hmm. of, you know? Yeah. <clears throat> and I was shown, I was brought back into these situations in my life in serial fashion, one after another, where it would last a little while and I would experience this moment in my life again. And then on to, I don't remember the transitions exactly, but I, there were five or six of them that I kind of recall. <clears throat> and they were, it wasn't the, um, I like to say, it wasn't the greatest hits, you know? It wasn't like, I, I wasn't at my best. These weren't the greatest parts of my life. It wasn't the highlights reel. Uh, they were mostly times when I had not been present in a meaningful enough way in my life, when I had accidentally been hurting somebody and not known it because I was too self-centered or missing a great opportunity because I was too willful or something like that. And I had this series of things shown to me uh, again. And after a while, I started to hear this kind of screaming and shouting and stuff. And it was my girlfriend in, in actual life uh, who was freaking out because I was dying apparently. Um, this was the only one I had where I was not hospitalized, where I, I didn't have any, any paperwork. So you know, drug overdose so or alcohol poisoning? Basically. Yeah. Everything. Okay. I was just, I was acting out that way in my life because I, I didn't have any real solutions. Everything that I was, everything I was supposed to be, I was doing that and it wasn't working. It wasn't working for me. Um, 
doesn't work for anybody, does so, it? <laughs> <laughs> well, no. And you, and you realize that's one of the big problems is this kind of interface with what you're supposed to be. And one of the great things, one of the great gifts of near-death experience is that it does tend to deliver you to your authentic self, you know, yeah. to who you actually are, aside from all that material, those expectations and judgments and self-determinations and all that kind of stuff. Um, so she kind of entered back into it and the illusion or the visit to heaven, so to speak, uh, faded and I was back in reality and within an hour or so I was able to like stand up and walk around again. And I, I got out of my life at the time I left New York and I went to Arizona back to my Southwestern roots. Cause I'm, I'm from Southern California, as we were mentioning. And, um, in that one, I realized I came to realize that the real lesson, the real takeaway from that is that I was alive in each of those moments. Those were all uh, what happened in this eternal moment. Whatever life I'm in, whether it was before this one or this one, or it was after this one, I was always right here and now, right? This is where it all happens. This is where I can reach out to, uh, to your audience and pass along the stuff that I learned and ask them to engage with it and make it a possibility in their own life. Um, and who knows what's going to happen as a result. Somebody may hear that. They may get in touch with me next week. You know, all kinds of things can happen, but it all takes place right here and right now. This, is, this never changes from life to life. I was there. Was the, I was at the top of the telephone pole. I was watching the scenes from my life. I, I had eyes. I may not have actually had a body, but I had a way to witness all of this. And so I can um, make things happen. I can dissolve karma, bad karma. I can create good karma, right? I can take actions. I can follow principles in my life, that sort of thing. And I can also cause injury and do things wrong right here and right now. And so it's an eternal moment that we live in and presence then becomes the lesson for that where spiritual perspective was the first one. Spiritual presence was the second one. Okay. You know, and the recognition that time is a whole different thing when you're out of the biological form. Yeah. You know, is, time's a trip. <laughs> and it's funny how, even though we don't have uh, a head and eyes and, limbs and a body feet it feels like we do to me you're you all there huh you're you yeah i felt like that was all like i'm squinting my eyes you know like when a bright white light my second one i'm like if i had eyes but it felt just like i'm like oh he's there you know right well see i I also believe that in their death experiences them being custom made the way they are there are levels of engagement in the potential of the afterlife and uh, disengagement uh, with the temporal life, with the material. I can hold on to a lot of my material, who I'm supposed to be in the afterlife and cling on to hold tight to it and still relate myself to those forms, you know, Uh, or, you know, I can just like turn into a giant cloud of, of uh radiant energy sort of thing you know what i mean 
And then when we come back and we tell the stories, that's how we relate to them too. It's more like I was there and I was doing this and that. Um, in my first one, it was very much like that. I was at the top of the telephone pole. I felt like I was in my body. I felt like I was taken to this place. In my second one, I don't know what I was. I might've been part of the cloud, you know? Mm-hmm. And so I, I, we are bringing information into our next state of being, right? We're packages of karmic information so to speak, that then the potential reflects that we co-create the possibilities of it. And some people meet their grandfather uh, in different cultures. They'll meet different deities. You know, their NDEs are often culturally exclusive. So Hindus don't meet Jesus, right? And Christians don't meet the uh, Yamaraja. And uh, each of us has this kind of reflect back to them and is holding on to the forms of this world, of this life, or has surrendered and let go of them completely. Because my third one was much more sort of physical in nature. And uh, I can tell you about that one right now if you want okay. to hear about that. Sure. Uh, that was some years later, and I had been... Um, I've been living in the desert Southwest and going back and forth between New York City and the um, Phoenix, Arizona area. And I had been um, engaged and it was a Super Bowl Sunday. I was with some friends of mine uh, watching the game at a, at a sports bar and my uh, fiance was at her place baking. And after the game, I went out into a courtyard. It was a college town, so there was a lot of activity and stuff. And I got on a payphone. This was so it's still this was 1997, was the date of my last near-death experience. And I called her up, and I was assaulted by a skinhead. You know, oh, like what we used to call big shaved head kid in baggy shorts and and big boots, and he was drunk. And I had just come from New York City, so I looked, you know, kind of uh, cosmopolitan, I guess. And he started uh, hollering at me. He started calling me names, you know, derisive names. And I'm on the phone, like, hang on a second, buddy. Let me, you know, let me finish this call. And he reached in and he hung up the phone on me. And I put the phone down and I kind of like talked him down. And he seemed to like be okay with it. And he, he went away and I got back on the phone and I was, you know, she said, what happened? I told this guy, she heard some of it over her end of the phone. And then the guy came back and he came back and he was worse and he was shoving me and, you know, just, and I dropped the phone and I made a tremendous mistake. I, I had studied a lot of martial arts as a kid and I planted my back foot and I punched him right on the kisser. Just boom. And he went backwards like a ton of bricks out and people all around me in this, in this um, sort of patio of this shopping area applauded because they had witnessed this like, Oh, good shot, man. Wait a, you know, <laughs> and I felt like, Oh, uh, I don't know. I better get out of here. And so I, I went and I jumped on the bicycle I'd ridden up and I was heading back uh, to, to where my fiance was baking 
And I didn't realize that there was a whole van load of these skinheads mm. who actually had been trying to pick up their friend and had witnessed the whole thing. Oh, no. And so they drove up behind me while I was riding my bicycle and hit me in the back of the head with oh. a crowbar or something like that. And I went headfirst into a curb and immediately, again, I was in another place. Uh, I, it was kind of maybe appropriately sort of womb-like or kind of subterranean is the way that it felt like. Like I was in this kind of organic subterranean space and there were entities around me in kind of a semicircle around me. Could you see and that? I had, um, yeah, but I don't, you know, I don't remember the details of their personages. Just it's like figures? Were, yeah, mm -hmm. then they're there. And, and again, I felt uh, safe, protected. I felt um, like I had a little bit more... Um, boundaries kind of or i felt a little bit more like my physical self and in fact i had this sense that something bad was happening in the next room kind of like on the other side of the wall something was going on bad neighbors and that was probably the fact that as i was unconscious these guys were stomping and kicking me um, while i was on the ground so all kinds of things were getting broken and it was not good. It was my least favorite near-death experience if you have to have such a thing, right? Um, but what they started to tell me, what the personages started telling me was that I had to go back. And I did not want to go back. So I had this other motif of many near-death experiences. I had it forced back into this world, back to life, against my will. I was like, no, no, I was like, like grabbing onto things kind of. And I, but I just remember like all of these hands and, and a lot of these I think are symbols for the energies that were at work there, right? Uh, just like picked me up and pushed me through a kind of a membrane that I sort of popped through and I opened my eyes and I was laying on my back in the street with an emergency medical worker over me who said, He's back. That's what the first thing I opened my eyes to, right? And I'd been out for about an hour or something like that. It had taken him a while to get to me. And they had a lot of business on Super Bowl Sunday in a college town. What's that? They'd had a lot of business on Super Bowl Sunday in oh. a co college town, the EMT uh, workers. Did they get these guys? Um, well, eventually, yeah, it was determined who they were and stuff. However, um, some of them were from the Marine base uh, that was down by Sierra Vista in, in, uh, in uh, Southern Arizona. And some of them, I think, had a lot in common with some police. There were, some of the police were kind of, had been Marines and stuff. And so I discovered that the police were watching, had watched the whole thing. And when I tried to bring a case uh, to the city, um, they turned it around and said, I had struck the first blow oh and, uh, and these guys had witnessed, you know, the guys in the van had witnessed me punch their friend. And so they were all going to test. I didn't have any witnesses on my side. Okay. And so it ended up where I would have been at, at um, to blame oh. for the whole thing. And I was, I punched the guy and I regret but doing not that. Those guys, they just jumped you. 
Yeah, that was the weird thing is that the cops I found in the um, police report a couple of years, took a couple of years to get the re police report uh, released, that <sighs> they had watched them get in and out of their van and come back over to me and kick me more. And, and did nothing. And, and didn't do anything. Yeah. So nothing. Uh, so nothing happened to them. And I could have pursued it, I suppose, but I don't think it was a very good idea to try. I don't think it was. I hate these situations. I moved on. I moved on in my life. And the How interesting thing is that was, that was my I mean, third, you know, that was the third time that something like okay. that had happened to me. And, you know, I, I still didn't get it really. It, that did not completely change my life. It did in some really fundamental ways. Um, I went back to New York and I re-entered into my professional career in a different way. And I had a couple of years that were just pretty lost. I was really struggling. Um, what were your injuries? Oh, uh, I had a severely separated shoulder that went all the way down here and had to come back up and get pinned together and then broken ribs. And I had a busted up head too. It's horrible. Um, so stitches and stuff like that. It was painful and it took a while to recover uh, from it. But, um, you know, I went back to my life in New York and I was successful again, you know, so all of that was working for me, mm -hmm. but I really then the accumulated effects of the three near death experiences over the previous uh, 12 or 15 years, I think, um, really started to land on me in a way that made it kind of impossible for me to live a regular life anymore. And 9-11 happened. And I was there. I was in downtown New York City. And I was walking down to where I lived and there were, you know, clouds of smoke. And there were people going past me that were covered with detritus, with dust and stuff. And some of them were bleeding and, you know, all of this kind of thing. And as I was standing there, I had this sensation of a kind of a tempest or a whirlwind of spirits. I felt like disembodied spirits. Uh, I, had, I had a paranormal experience, right? It's <laughs> interesting. Know? And for the first time I realized I am not relating to this life the same way a lot of people are probably. And it didn't occur to me then, oh, I've had three near-death experiences. Right. I didn't think that. But what I did do was I found this cabin on the upper Delaware River that I was mentioning to you earlier, uh, where I actually went up and sat on a rock by the river for 15 years. <laughs> but, you know, for seven or eight years, um, I sat, you know, often developed this meditation practice. And all of this stuff started to coalesce, started to crystallize for me. I started to have a, um, a transpersonal relationship with the world, with life, where in meditation, I, I could detach from my thinking and my expectations and who I was and, and experience some of those sensations that I had in near death. And my near death experiences kind of poured back into me then and filled me up. And I became really interested in in religious texts and philosophy and, and uh, quantum mechanics, all of these things I'd never been interested in. 
And I had a blog that I posted animation designs on because I was anima uh, designing animation for network TV. And um, I started writing little spiritual essays on them and they got popular. I started getting contacted by Gaia.com or Soul Lifetimes or Mindful Word, these different sites, BeliefNet. And oh, we're back, right? Yeah, a little bit. Got a storm. It's on my end. Yeah, um, and uh, I I got this uh, this sort of message to write my first book, uh, which was How to Survive Life and Death, and did that, and just by the strangest set of, of uh, circumstances. Um, it was bought by Konari Press and published in, uh, in 2014. And I entered into the near-death experience sort of community uh, 2015, 2016, when I was invited to, uh, to share my experiences with, uh, with IONS at the IONS conferences. And, and, uh, and that was my, um, my real awakening to near death didn't happen until I'd had this experience prior to 9-11 of, um, of nothing working. Of everything that I was supposed to be was not the answer. And I had this kind of dark night of the soul, so to speak, and this kind of um, ego death, you know. And at that time, at that moment, when I surrendered into the meditation practice and into the kind of study that uh, I was launched into, uh, just by means that I had never experienced before, I wanted to read the Bhagavad Gita and I wanted to read the Tao Te Ching and, you know, I wanted to read the, the Gospel of Thomas and all this stuff. Um, you know, I found myself uh, then becoming a, a published author and a a speaker and having um, my door open to anybody who needs help or wants to talk about these things, I'm available through my my website or my um, my blog. You know? I saw in your bio, I think it's like four years. You were uh, one of the main featured speaker speakers at IONS. I think even last year. Yeah, yeah, I did a presentation last year. Yeah, I've done I've done uh, what three i think and then i did a signing at another one uh, kind of thing but i've done um i've talked to a bunch of local chapters you know like maybe seven or eight local chapters around the country uh, which is I nice to do that stuff i used to have two groups and then uh -huh. i was getting ready to start is isgo group and then i just started my own thing um now i think i read in your bio like about around 70 times you've been interviewed on television and radio Mostly radio. Those okay. television's been three or four times, but radio a lot. I've done a lot of radio shows and blog um, and uh, podcasts and stuff like that. Those are fun. <laughs> yeah, it's all fun. It's all wonderful to be able to share this stuff with people and to let them know that there really is this um, this kind of matrix of loving intelligence that is underneath all of this. That we are all. Um, expressing a kind of divine consciousness that we share that we're part of with the animal world too with everything that you see you know god is everywhere you look so to speak right yeah. and and that um when you feel like your life is is spinning out of control or becoming overly complicated you can stop and consciously contact this 
well of being that's run this well of love. It's like a field of gravity or a electromagnetic field. There's a field of love too that's available. And, um, you know, by following simple principles like kindness and honesty and humility and forgiveness and compassion and service, you become a part of this whole thing in a way that helps you experience that heavenly experience that near-death experiencers talk about. You can have it here. Everybody's had a little piece of heaven in their life, right? So you know right. it's possible. And so my second book, which is um, uh, how to uh, hello how to survive life and death, is my is my first book. But um, how to get to heaven without really dying is my second book, and that's what it's about. It's about how you can live in this experience of an extra dimensional heavenly state, any life you're in. And you can kind of expand that bubble out to include your family and your friends and you know, the people in your community. And uh, like I was saying earlier, that most of the solutions to the problems in this world are available uh, spiritual and that there are spiritual solutions to everything right now. So what are your plans now? You got anything special coming up or? Well, I'm continuing to, uh, to write. I, I, um, I write and curate for my blog, which is robertkopecky.blogspot.com. Um, and you know, lots of people go to that all the time and I'm always kind of getting action that way. And I'm uh, getting requested to, to uh, speak and I work with people personally. I've got four or five people that I'm always working with on a one-to-one -one basis. Um, in fact, with the, uh, with the pandemic and the kind of limitations on you know, in-person stuff that I was really enjoying doing for years, for three, four years, I was doing it a lot. Um, I realized that, um, that it's really as important in many ways to show up for my life in a certain way, uh, that that's kind of an art form in itself. And, the last lesson, the, the near-death experience where I was forced back into this life, I basically came to realize that we each have a spiritual purpose that we're fulfilling. You know, we are these packages of karma, so to speak, and we have these loose ends that we need to tie up, these circles that we need to come back around. I, my wife and I moved to, uh, to back to Southern California. My mom lives here. She had cancer this last year and had treatment for it. And I was able to be there for her a lot, you know, which didn't happen when I was living in New York for all those years. So we're, we're called upon to show up for our lives. And with, that's your purpose, you know? I used to like imagine that my purpose was something extravagant, or, yeah. or, you know? And I've come to realize that it's not all that extravagant. I used to think it was like a big budget movie, like a blockbuster, but it's more like a handheld documentary kind of, you know, where I'm able to show up for my friends, for my family. And I have that spiritual perspective that I got from being out of body. And I have that sense of presence that in this moment is when I can do my most good. Right. And that sense of purpose that I am here for this. This is what I'm supposed to be doing. I'm supposed to have time in my life 
to go visit my mom. I'm supposed to do that. It's not exciting, although she's pretty damn funny. <laughs> but, you know, it is why I'm here. And so we, we can overlook uh, what's right in front of us lots of times. Um, and, you know, expecting something more to be waiting for us. It's all right here, right now. It really is. And it really is just a, a, a different way of looking at it. There's a, there's a great um, saying that's kind of the theme to my second book to, to um, how to get to heaven without really dying. It comes from the gospel of Thomas where Yeshua says, the kingdom of heaven is spread across the earth, but men don't have eyes to see it. So if we can change the way that we look at things, we can live, we're living in heaven. I know it doesn't seem like it a lot, <laughs> you know. It's about uh, perspective, because, isn't it? Yeah, and there, was a, and there was no ambition. There was no competition. Uh, there was no willful uh, right or wrong in my heavenly experiences. None of that, ex none of that existed at all. I had no Your view of, of winning is redefined. <laughs> yes, yes, we redefine success. Success is no longer what I once thought it was. What do you know? It's a whole different thing. Yeah. Right? That has to do with removing the obstacles to love in my life, yeah. to recognizing what's held me back, you know, those places where I run into difficulty over and over again, that kind of thing. Um, and to uh, the fact that I really, I really can project out into this world and have it bounce back to me, you know, that, that it's a conscious co-creation that we're involved in here. Um, and like so a cosmic much, dance. Pardon? Like a cosmic dance. Yeah. Well, and even, um, even sort of more active than that, you know, when people describe what their near-death experiences were and all of these wonderful, with some people, very little happens kind of with me. They're kind of pedestrian or simple. With other people, they see mountaintops covered with angels and crystal, uh, crystal cathedrals and all kinds of stuff, you know. Um, what we bring to our life is reflecting back to us. We are projecting out into the world and the way we see it is the way that it sees us, you know? So it's a conscious co-creation. Um, in that sense, it's like being a uh, um, interpretive dance, kind of, right? It's not so much a rigid foxtrot as it is, a, you know, we just are kind of moving with it. Yeah, the flow. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Looking for love in things. It shows itself to you in all different forms. Yeah. All different Being forms. open to it and and yeah. Right. Well, it's been very informative. I really enjoyed this. Oh good. Well, it's lovely to talk to you. And I'm so glad finally I've I've seen your name in my social media and with iron stuff and junk for years. And so I had so you scheduled three years ago when I was getting ready to launch my ISGO and that all went south. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> I was yeah. like, finally. I'm having Robert on after three yes, years. I remember. So I was that. really upset when I, you know, resigned from there. I was like, but I really wanted to meet Robert. And I, and so I was really happy today that I kind of felt um, satisfied that I got to. Well, yeah, it's that, you know, we're circling back around, right? We're making the circle, we're attaching back to make it whole, kind of, right? And, um, you know, it's great. Uh, people that are interested in near death experience are a very particular kind of person. Um, that's something that I really miss from the in-person 
events that I've done is that there's a, almost like a family, you know, like people are open uh, to an extra dimensionality in life. And if you just go ahead and live that way, then you discover that it's a real thing. It's always happening. You know, we're always engaging in it extra dimensionally. Then all kinds of things start to happen. I'm sure you've experienced this the synchronicities yes. and coincidences and all of that kind of thing. It's funny because I had a guest this morning and we were talking about the exact same thing towards the end of the interview. Of yeah, we always kind of get different. back to that. Huh? We always kind of get back to that. Yeah, it's like how different it was in person where you felt something and they could feel something. Right. Was, uh, I mean, this is nice, but um, yeah. in person, it's, it's almost like there's something's alive in the room. Well, yeah, I mean, that, that, that's, that's why we have to inhabit these forms, you know, that's why we do some time here as human beings, is so that we can have these kinds of experiences of physical connection. And, you know, it's not easy to be a human being, but it is very special, you know, and um, I didn't have that same kind of relationship uh, with that sensory aspect of things in my near-death experiences. You know, I, I had feelings, but it wasn't, it wasn't like the kinds of feelings that I have in person, you know, hugging somebody, you know, that kind of thing. So um, I think that what I have to do is, is keep in mind and recognize that this spiritual technology is still alive all the time. It's operating, it's functioning. I'm, we found each other today, you know, and we got this opportunity. And that's a beautiful circle to kind of close for now. And we can yeah. enter back into it whenever we want. And so having that, um, that expansive, uh, um, open-hearted approach to a possibility almost overcomes the fact that we can't actually hug each other. But, <laughs> you know, it doesn't, but it almost does. Yeah, and I love my podcast because, you know, in the very beginning, like I usually have never spoke to this person before. And by the end of the hour, I just feel really connected and close to them. And right. so, you know, it has an upside too, where I have social anxiety. And so if we were in a group, I would probably wouldn't bond with you and stand here and talk to you. And, you know, we would be distracted. And even if you're right. standing on a stage and you're talking to a bunch of people, you're just going to interact one-on-one -on -one with someone just a few minutes. They have a question or something so that there is an upside too. So, yeah. yeah. Well, and we're very, very adaptable. There are human beings live all different kinds of lives. Growing up on the border, as I did in San Diego, um, I was often exposed to intense poverty in Tijuana, which was only eight miles away from where I grew up. And my dad had a business and worked with a lot of Mexican people. And we were there quite a bit. And no matter how impoverished a lot of those people were, many of them were really happy and they lived really well. You know, I, I would envy um, kids who, you know, had a dirt floor in their house kind of thing because their parents were so loving and the food was so good and the, the community was so rich, you know, that kind of stuff. And I don't know about you, but I grew up, you know, abused, but also poor. And so I was always like an outsider looking in at other families and seeing mm -hmm. the closeness. Wow, that brother really stood up for that sister. Nobody's going to mess with his sister. Or, you know, that right. look how that girl's just a little daddy's girl. You know, I never had that. Or, you know, all these things 
watch their parents are home every night and have dinner. You know, that right. I just was always outsider looking in. But when when I turned 18 and I became a mother, I knew everything I wanted, everything I had seen out of all these other families. That's what my kids would have. Right. Yeah. Um, you learn from that. Yeah. My, my, um, my father passed away just about two and a half weeks ago or so. Oh, wow. And, and he had lived on the other side of the planet for most of my life. I'd only seen him a few times from the time that I was a young man. But he, uh, he ended up in Palm Springs just before the pandemic to get some medical treatment. And I was able to sit with him every day for eight weeks or so. And That's right. We of, had to reschedule, didn't we? Because your dad yeah. And I just, you know, I recognized having that opportunity to come back around, to close that circle back up, you know, and, and uh, fulfill that sort of karmic purpose that I, I have and we all have in life. You know, we've all got that. And being open-hearted and recognizing it is so important. Removing the obstacles to love and, and allowing it to guide you. My mother's in a nursing home and she told me not to come back anymore. <laughs> and so my sister's disabled sister is also there too. So the nursing home called me and said, Peggy, your mom's asking about you all the time and want to know if you're okay. And I said, she doesn't like me. And they said, oh, we know. <laughs> She's been telling everybody because I was there before. And so patient told me your mom don't like you. I, like, I know. <laughs> right. But the, you know, the time will come that you will go back and see her again. And, well, you know, my husband's not her. well now and I can't go back because they have COVID all the time. No, my sister oh, right. has COVID and you know, she's in hospice yeah. in the nursing home and I can't go see her because my husband got a bad diagnosis and I was really feeling guilty. feel like caving in going to see her. And then they call and say she has COVID. So, mm, yeah, well, there's, there's some way there are going to be some means that will allow you to circle back around on all of that. You know, um, our, our lives don't, it doesn't work the way that we want it to work lots of times, but it does end up working the way that it needs to work. You know, there's, yeah. there's going to be an opportunity for you to come to terms with all of that. Well, I think I have. I mean, I'm, I'm glad I finally have a reason to say I'm not putting myself through that, of course, my mother, because um, I won't go and get sick, you know, and bring it to my husband. Just, you know, right. so yeah. it kind of takes it off the table. She told me not to come back. Turn everybody she don't like me. So it takes responsibility off of me feeling bad because I'm not going to see my mother. You know, I can't no. go see my sister, but, you know. And the, you know, pandemic conditions give us an opportunity to, to think of other people and to, you yeah. know, make sure that we're, we're living up to those responsibilities to our community and to our family and stuff. Yeah. Changes everything, doesn't it? Yeah, it has so far. It'll go back. We'll get back to where we were. Well, thank you. I don't want to take up all your day. Thank you so much, Peggy. It's been a real pleasure uh, talking to you and getting to, to uh, share my experiences with your audience. Okay, bye-bye. Bye-bye.